going to talk a little bit this morning about peace. Um, at this time of year, one of my favorite shows begins to appear on TV. I think it's channel 222. I could be off, but all it is is a fireplace. <laughs> and it's this beautiful picture of a real crackling fire, and occasionally some man whose face I have never seen comes and adjusts the logs or he'll put another log on the fire, and there is something incredibly peaceful about that picture. It's also nice that it doesn't involve chopping wood, there is no ash to clean up, you just can kind of lie back Soak in the sound of fire and just kind of watch the dancing flames. Uh, it's one of those things that I think most of us, if you are a camper, it's one of the highlights of camping. And so if you're lucky enough in summer that they haven't created a campfire ban, you get out early enough, one of the really amazing things about the campfire is that people tend to just sit around it and they watch and they listen and there's something incredibly peaceful about that. Even though you might say inside that fire uh, there's a fair amount of aggressive activity. For those sitting around it there is this sense of peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When I read that, uh, and I've read it many times over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of interesting how that verse unfolds. For unto us a child is born. Okay, happens all the time. Unto us a son is given. And then it goes from there to say, and the government shall be upon this child's shoulder. And then it goes to say, this child will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. It's an amazing verse. Isaiah hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. This morning I want us to consider three expressions of peace. Number one, the peace that this world has to offer. Number two, a peace that passes understanding. And number three, 
the call on our lives to be peacemakers. I remain incredibly thankful to live in this country. And I would admit there are aspects of our government's decision making and there are aspects of our country's direction in certain areas that I might say from a biblical perspective are of concern to me. Yet Canada remains one of the most peaceful countries in the world. For many decades, from I would say about the mid-50s right through about the mid-90s, Canada had a reputation as international peacekeeper. And we, as a country, tended to wear that banner with a certain pride. It feels good to be called a peacekeeper. Over the last probably almost 20 years, some of the shine on that reputation has lost a bit of its luster as we have found ourselves assuming a greater offensive military role and I don't want to speak for all Canadians, but I think most of us would prefer our role as mediator, our role as a peacekeeping nation. It's kind of like call us in when there is some level of peace and we want to help preserve it or maintain it. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, and this is what we need to leave today with. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then this incredible statement, I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So question one this morning I want to ask is what version of peace does this world offer? How would you, if somebody asked you to describe when you think about peace within our world, how would you describe it? What would you be hoping for? In a way, whenever we achieve even certain level of peace within our world, the peace still has with it, I'm going to say, a sense of being somewhat unsettled, somewhat troubling, and still open to fear. Which is why Jesus says, the peace I give you is not like the world's, so don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. When the world talks about peace, it is essentially referring to the absence of conflict. So we will accept an uneasy truce 
or we will accept a temporary ceasefire as signs of peace. And we will actually get quite excited when two warring parties actually sign a peace treaty. But all of these expressions of peace are precarious. Even when countries choose to lay down their weapons and sign a peace treaty, generally that peace treaty is brokered by a third party. So you might say it's not a willing shake hands and become friends. It's a third party that tries to bring them together. And at times we are thrilled when the result simply means that instead of bearing arms and killing each other, people replace that with, I'll call it, a sense of giving each other the cold shoulder. We're not really friends, but we have stopped killing each other. And I want to suggest this morning that whether the conflict is nation to nation, whether the conflict is employer to employee, whether the conflict is neighbor to neighbor, or whether the conflict is husband to wife. We know that the sense of cold shoulder or silent treatment is not really peace at all. We know it's not genuine peace because you might say you can still feel the tension. The precarious peace of this world is a peace that can easily slip away. And into this version of peace, Jesus says, my peace is not like that. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. The peace that Jesus offered is peace that I want to suggest is at a completely different level. And interestingly enough, the peace that Jesus has come to bring us does not mean the absence of conflict or trouble or trials or sorrows or pain. I think our hearts always long for a genuine peace. Whatever the situation, whatever the setting, to live at peace with your neighbors feels good. To live at peace with your wife feels good. To live at peace with countries around you feels good. And it's a kind of peace that at our heart's level we long for. And I would call it a genuine relational peace characterized by things such as humility, forgiveness, respect, friendship, and at its highest level, love. The Bible does not speak of peace as smooth sailing. 
I think it's interesting in the miracle that Jesus performed when he calmed the seas, when they all saw, sudden saw Jesus. Jesus was not concerned about the troubled seas. People were. But God, through Jesus, extends to us. In the middle of trials, challenges, sorrows, sickness, pain, suffering, he says, I will give you a peace that passes understanding. That word, it passes understanding, really is saying, like, how could you have peace in that context? And Jesus says, that's the peace I want to give to you. John 16, says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials. You may have many sorrows. But take heart because I have actually overcome this world. The peace of God is not a precarious one, but a lasting one. It is a relational peace that God, through Jesus, has offered us. And it exists because a battle has been won that will never be fought again. Most of the battles and conflicts of this world can fan into flame again, and that same conflict can reoccur. We see it around us all the time. Jesus offers us peace because this is a battle that will not be fought again. And it is the suffering of the cross, and it is the victory of the resurrection. And this morning as we sit here, Jesus reigns. That as we sit here, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, and from an eternal perspective, Jesus is already on the throne, and the government is already on his shoulders. And that this morning, he is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. So do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Romans 8, verses 33 to 39, it says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died and was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. No, and it doesn't say, don't worry, none of those things will happen. It says, no, despite all these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that passes understanding. And it is ours in Jesus. At times within the Christian community or Christian faith, there are those who choose to depict man and God as adversaries as warring parties. But I would challenge that perspective. If that were the case, the God who chose to create us is also the God that could choose to judge us, to condemn us, and destroy us. I believe the biblical narrative identifies the warring factions, the warring parties, not as God and man, but rather God and sin, God and evil, and I believe that is more than just a subtle difference. It speaks to the compassionate heart of God. It speaks to the truth that God truly is a God of love. That yes, man can choose to shake his fist in the face of God. Man can bristle at the notion of sin and choose to do what is right in his own eyes. Man can choose darkness over light. Man can choose to reject the gospel. So man can pit himself against God if he so chooses. I'm always reminded of that scene, and I think it's in Ephesians, where Paul is sitting down and talking to the people in the city square. They have um, idols set up to a whole bunch of their gods, and they have one idol set up that says to the unknown God, and Paul sees this as an opportunity to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he preaches that sermon to these highly intellectual people of his day. And the result is this. Some believe that the Spirit of God, as Paul is speaking, chooses some of them to say, yes, you know what, I believe that. Others, it says, are curious and they say to him, come back, we'd like to hear more. And there are others that simply rejected it as nonsense. God's issue was not so much with man. And in fact, I might even say God's issue was not with man. It was with sin. And God dealt with it 
in Jesus. Man's issue is his own response to God. Will your heart stay hardened towards God? Will your heart become soft towards God and say, I believe? God's response to sin was to destroy it. God's response to a broken world and broken people was to save it, restore it, reconcile it. Our God is not interested in retribution or condemnation. God's heart was to provide a mediator, the man Christ Jesus. God in Jesus has brokered what you might want to think of as a lasting peace in which we are forgiven, we are declared righteous, and we are given freedom. It's a peace agreement in which we are written in as sons and daughters. And we are written in as joint heirs with Jesus. I should have written down the actual passage here that I just realized I didn't. It's a conversation that Paul has with the church, and he says, you know what, pray. Pray for kings and all who are in authority. So pray for your country. Pray for the world around you. Pray for wisdom and those who have been given that role. Why? So that we, as children of God, can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And this morning, the Prince of Peace calls us into a relational, lasting peace. It's not an uneasy truce, but a a lasting relationship with Almighty God, who is our eternal Father and who invites us into his presence. Says the peace of God will guard your heart. The peace of God will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. My prayer is that we would find some times during this Advent season to enjoy the peace that passes understanding. Maybe you can turn on channel 222, sit on the couch, and bask in the peace that passes understanding. 
Thirdly, as children of peace, children of the Prince of Peace, you and I are called to be peacemakers. I don't see any alternative in the teachings of Jesus or in the instructions that Paul gave to the church about how they are to act. We're called to be peacemakers. And it's interesting that the peace that passes all understanding was not attained through military might. It was born of humility. It was born of submission to the will of God. And it was born of the Father's love for a lost world. It was a victory won through sacrifice. The only sword that was drawn was Peter's, and Jesus reprimanded him for using it. The cross stands as a symbol of love. The cross stands as an amazing symbol of humility of Jesus, who was God but gave it up. The cross stands as a symbol of forgiveness. And the empty tomb. We have crosses everywhere in churches within the Christian faith. I always think at times we should have some representation always of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the victory. And the entire world was given the opportunity to embrace freedom, to embrace forgiveness, and to enjoy a peace that passes understanding because one man laid down his life in order that we could truly find ours. And today for the church, for the Christian people, the people of God, how we are to live how we are to live out our faith, we still need to look to Jesus as our example. But Jesus' conversation about how you treat those you get along with, Jesus' conversation about how you treat those who are even your enemies, is a teaching that also is found in the Old Testament. Proverbs 25, verse 20, 21 says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Matthew 5, verse 9 teachings of Jesus, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Romans 12, 14 to 18, Paul speaking, bless those who persecute you. I mean, we read that line so glibly. I do at times. To actually ask the question about how would I treat someone who truly was persecuting me? 
I would need to say, God, help me somehow to bless this person. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I think it was in the reading that Morley and Colleen and Ryder had. It talked about how through one man, conflict entered this world. And how through one man, salvation, forgiveness, peace, freedom entered the world. I thought about that. It's amazing to me how instrumental one person can be in either achieving peace or destroying it. And examples of that surround us. A change in leadership can alter the direction of of an entire country. A change in leadership can transform the culture of an entire organization. One person leaving a staff or one person coming on board a staff can change the tone of a staff room. A new committee member can alter every committee meeting. Suddenly, every decision becomes either far easier or far more difficult. As children of the Prince of Peace, if you want to think of it this way, our assignment is to bring peace. Our assignment is to be peacemakers wherever it is that God has placed us. When we pray that as a church we would be a light, when we pray that we would be a beacon for our community, we are not talking about some invisible construct of church. We are actually talking and reminding ourselves that the church is us. It's you, it's me, and we are called to be people who bring peace. In summer, Rachel Jacob shared a story of sexual harassment within the workplace. I remember that Sunday very vividly. And since then, her voice has become an incredibly powerful voice within this huge company of which she is a part. And that she has just recently received an award. I'm probably going to phrase this wrong, Rachel. That has to do with changing the culture of sexual harassment within a workplace. That God continues to use something that was horrible And it's as if God has placed on her life this mantle, this assignment to speak into that. So we continue to pray, Rachel, that God will use you. 
in our relationships in the church, in our homes, in our places of work, we are to be instruments of peace. Now, I probably at times should have somebody whispering that into my ear as I go through every day, especially those times where you're not feeling particularly peaceful. Reminder from the Spirit of God, Doug, you are to be an instrument of peace. In our interactions with the world, in our interactions with our enemies, we are not called to fight for our rights, but we are called, if necessary, to actually lay them down for the sake of peace. The world is always going to do what the world does. The world is on a different path. Our government is likely always going to try to accommodate the rights and freedoms of its citizens, which increasingly means allowing people as much as possible to do what is right in their own eyes. That's really the direction of our government, whether it's here, whether it's south of the border. And I think it's so interesting in the Old Testament, that phrase, doing what is right in your own eyes, occurs quite often. And you might think, oh, wow, if everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, if you believe in the goodness of man, we should become an amazing place. But when God uses that phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it was a recipe for moral decay, and it was a recipe for military defeat. So the world is going on a path. I sometimes find myself thinking, where, where is it going? I want to say the church is not going to change that direction by yelling. Church is not going to change that by waving placards or voicing words of condemnation or lobbying political parties. That strategy, I think, has often led to what I would call an unhealthy and unholy alliance in which we as the church lose not only our credibility, but we risk losing the very message that God has asked us to proclaim. At times, the church has made a lot of noise and executed virtually no change. The world just keeps going as the world is going. And in trying to gain ground at times within the kingdoms of this world, I think we run the risk of losing the kingdom ground that God calls us to hang on to. And what we have to offer is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. The simple gospel, which is a gospel of peace.
we also have the powerful, quiet witness of the community of faith. Somebody says they will know that we are Christians by our love. That's what the world needs to see. In Philippians, Paul put it this way. It's a very well-known passage. I think I've used it many times. Talks about the example of Jesus. And it says this, though he was God, Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privilege took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave Jesus the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I have read that passage so many times. And as I do, I'm reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm reminded of the significance of of the Advent season and the birth of Jesus. But I don't always focus on the introduction to those verses that I just read, where it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let that same mind that Christ demonstrated being you. That every day we are called to be participants. That every day we actually have a role to play in the peace that passes all understanding. For under us a child is born. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and unto us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace I want to read that verse one more time and when it gets to the highlighted wonderful counselor mighty God Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. I want you to say that with me. And I encourage you to say it loudly. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace.